This is Cabernet and True Crime, the place where good wine and true crime come together. Hello, friends. And you know what I realized after looking at my stats today? I say friends, but I only maybe have, let's say, two or three friends and I know for a fact they don't listen to this podcast, so there are quite a few of you that I've never met before, and thank you. Let me take this time to say thank you for joining me on this, uh, true crime journey. Okay? Um, and then I will also start by saying, this, this story has quite bamboozled me. Um, first of all, let me, well, I'm bamboozled because of the fact that there are three cases of coronavirus in Cuyahoga County, Why'd that sound so dumb? Cuyahoga County. Let me slow that down a little bit. I'm just really excited and I'm talking really fast. So let me just take a second to, um, you know, cool myself down. So there have been three cases of coronavirus found in Ohio, and they have all been in Cuyahoga County. And if you didn't know, that's where Cleveland is. Um, despite the fact that, well, I mean, I'm a healthy individual. I work out. I take my vitamins statistically, I'm going to be okay. It's still just weird, right? This whole thing is blown way out of proportion, and, I mean, there are events canceled, and people being on lockdown, and it's a wild time to be on this planet right now, I guess. I was going to say to be an American, but no, it's just, it's a wild time to be on this planet, but I got off track. Yeah, sorry. Yep. (laughs) Let's just, let's just slow it down. Let's simmer it down. Take some time. It was a beautiful day in Cleveland today. The sun was shining. It was 65 degrees outside. Beautiful, beautiful day. And, um, the crime we're going to talk about today, I was signed, sealed, delivered that I had already covered this this crime. So I, I have two different folders in my computer. One is which needs to be recorded and one is which been recorded. And this one was in the needs to be recorded section, which I was confused about. And I, you know, was, it was kind of all over the place, but you know, I did all the research and I checked it out and I looked all over the place to try to figure out like, (laughs) had I really actually recorded this or not? And I never did. I don't think, although I could swear I can picture myself recording this and I didn't. I know because I checked through every single podcast I've ever recorded, and it's not there. So, today we're going to be talking about John George High, or the Acid Bath Killer. And, um, he's not the first of his kind, and we'll get into that. And when you think of Acid Bath Killer, I don't know if you think of a specific person, aside from, like, that episode of Breaking Bad where they, you know, melt through the floor and all that. But... This this happened much before then, and it's kind of a fascinating story, so why don't we just go down this rabbit hole together and let's talk about it. Okay, so John George High, sorry there was a little intermission on that one. <laughs> Some things were happening in my apartment that I wasn't really aware of. Um, okay, so on February 20th, 1949, um, 69-year-old Olive Duran Deacon was reported missing by her friend Constance Lane. And apparently, when the detectives started investigating the case, they already had a good suspect in mind. When their suspect is apprehended, ap- whoa, apprehended, 
the truth is almost too fantastic to believe. And I think maybe I got confused because there were a couple crimes I covered in quick succession. And I think when I write these, I think of like how I'm going to talk about them. So I don't know if I just have like a really great imagination and I can just, or, you know, my memory is pretty shit. Um, the trauma, <laughs> it's probably just the trauma and the anxiety. Although for real though, the do say statistically, those people who do have anxiety and depression do have a harder time remembering things mostly because of the whole, your body is stuck in flight or fight. And so you aren't taking in memories as good as other people who are not anxiety riddled. That just is what it is. Um, so I don't know what the deal is. I don't know why, I don't know if like the beginning of this is so similar to another thing that I have recorded, which I cannot remember now because you know, the trauma. <laughs> so I'm not sure why I was so convinced because I am also equally convinced that I didn't cover it. So if I already covered this crime, seriously, I'm super sorry. I looked and I didn't find it. So I'm just, I'm, I feel really dumb right now because I feel like I'm covering a crime that I already covered and I didn't. Um, okay, so yeah. Olive Duran Deacon is reported missing by her friend Constance Lane in 1949 and the, the detectives already had a suspect in mind. That's all you need to know. Sorry about my rant. I'm just, I feel like I already did this and I feel like I'm wrong. Have you ever felt like that way before? <laughs> like, I just, I don't know how to get through this. Okay, sorry. So... John George High was born on um, July 24th, 1909 in Lincolnshire, England. His father was an engineer and both of his parents were members of a conservative Protestant church, which later John would say um, caused him to suffer from awful reoccurring religious nightmares, wouldn't it? Um, so he was an excellent piano player and went to classical concerts frequently. John's school career was a prestigious one. He won a scholarship to the Queen Elizabeth Grammar School, and then another scholarship to Wakefield Cathedral, where he was a choir boy. Um, after school, he was an apprentice of a firm of motor engineers, and when he got bored with that, um, he took an, um, other odd jobs for insurance and advertising, but was fired around age 21 for being suspected of stealing. That's kind of common with the type of person we're going to be dealing with. Um, so on July 6th, 1934, um, just shy of his 25th birthday, he married Betty Hamer, who was two years his junior. The marriage ended quickly, and John was arrested and put in jail for fraud. Betty had his child while he was in prison, but put the baby girl up for adoption and left John. Um, and this is facts that John's family criticized him for for years to come. So I don't know if um, John and Betty were ever legally divorced, but I do know that they separate for sure. And John moved to London in 1936 and worked as a chauffeur for a man named Mr. William McSwan, uh, who owned amusement arcades. John drove him around town and also worked as a maintenance guy for the machines at the arcades. So after this though, and maybe sometime during it, hard to tell the difference, um, not really sure where one career ended and one began, um, John High pranced around England pretending to be a solicitor or a legal practitioner. Um, he sold fraudulent shock stock shares and was scamming people out of their money. He was working under the name of William Cato Adamson and was, uh, caught because he misspelled a city on his letterhead. Um, so the city name was, um, 
oh, I didn't really clarify this. He wrote, I think he wrote Guild Ford, G-U-I-L-D-F-O-R-D, but he had meant Guilford, G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D. I have a really bad time pronouncing things. Um, but basically, he misspelled the city that he was supposed to be working from, and people were like, a presumed and well-educated solicitor wouldn't make a dumb mistake like that, you would assume. I would assume. Um, he was sentenced to four years in prison for fraud, and right after World War II started, John was released but continued scamming people. Um, and he would end up in jail several more times after that. Um, so here's the deal, though. This is the problem. Here's the deal. John figures, uh, you know something out and he figures out in like the worst way possible so john realizes that he keeps going to jail because he's leaving people around to report the crimes yes very dark very dark very evil thoughts here um most people come to that conclusion a lot more quickly than john did but i mean it's not a good realization to come to anyways usually you hope that criminals are too stupid to come to that realization and then just kind of end up in jail forever and like that's the way it is um this is like the worst kind of criminal because he figures it out that's just the one thing you don't ever want criminals to figure out stop leaving people alive and they'll stop ratting on you just how about you don't commit crimes right at the end of the day Okay, then <laughs> maybe I'll just, I'll get off my pedestal. Um, so while in prison, one of those numerous times, he hears about a man named George Alexandra Soret. And I'm sure that's more French than I'm actually pronouncing it, but that's what you get. So if you don't know exactly who Soret is, um, you may know him in a roundabout way. Um, because I didn't know who he was, but reading his story felt kind of familiar. So, George Alexandra was an Italian-born French criminal, and he was actually guillotined for a double murder that became an infamous case because he dissolved the bodies um, of his victims in sulfuric acid. So, John hearing about this, obviously, is very bad. Um, Surrette was caught, of course, and was executed in 1933, and this was big news at the time. Obviously, a man dissolving bodies in sulfuric acid and being executed like being guillotined for that obviously very big news and so john i mean i'm sure news traveled and john had obviously heard about it um and apparently although the man although Surrett was ultimately executed and ultimately caught and i would assume relatively quickly for his crimes john high was like that's a good idea i'm gonna do that too okay I mean, maybe not the best route to go about, but if you think that's a good idea, like, if I see somebody jump off a cliff and they die because they jumped off a cliff, I don't think I'm going to be jumping off that cliff anytime soon. But apparently when you're John High, you've got nothing to lose. So, you know, um, cool. So while in prison, John decided to test the process by dissolving field mice in acid and seeing how long it took, which is, kind of raises a couple questions of, um... How did he get acid in jail? Right? I mean, am I the only person thinking that? Or... No? Okay. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, okay. But a mouse could dissolve... I don't know why I have this written down, but a mouse could dissolve in 30 minutes or less. Interesting fact of knowledge for you to have with your own time. I don't know what type of acid... I don't know what type of acid you can get in prison, aside from, like... The, the drug kind. I don't understand how you would find enough acid in a prison cell to dissolve field mice in. 
I don't ask questions. I, you know, I don't get paid enough to wonder that. (laughs) Sorry, my real world job is seeping in. I don't get paid enough to worry about these things. So, but no, real though, I really don't understand how that happened. And maybe, well, how could you, you, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on this. You couldn't even like smuggle acid in if you wanted to, could you? How would you? Did he have friends? I don't know. I'm curious now. And, uh, if you have any ideas, message me because I'm interested. Um, so armed with that knowledge, he, he starts a quote, second spree of crimes. Ones that aren't so much as swindling people as are, you know, the, the murderous kind. So like I said, um, John was released in the early 1940s, um, 1943 to be exact. He became an accountant with an engineering firm and by some fucked up twist of fate, John ran into his old boss, Mr. William McSwan, at the Goat Tavern, which is still a place, still around, by the way. You can go there, the Goat Tavern, it is still called that, in London. And McSwan was with his parents, and he worked for them by collecting rents on their London properties, which was apparently a pretty lavish lifestyle. Being a landlord back then was lucrative. And, of course, John High was envious of it. So on September 6th, 1944, William McSwan vanished. It was later found out that John had hit him over the head after luring him to a secluded location and then put his body in a 40-gallon drum. He filled the drum with concentrated sulfuric acid, which once again, was that easy to get back then? Could you get 40 gallons? Well, you have to account for the space a body would take up. So I mean, maybe like 20 gallons of sulfuric acid? Could people just buy that back then? Where did you get it from? Because right now, if you went to the store and you're like, hey, I want 40 gallons of sulfuric acid, people would like not give it to you. I would assume. I mean, I work in a chemical industry and I mean, we don't have anything that strong. I feel like there's checks and balances to make sure that these fucking wackadoos don't get these things, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm out of touch with the criminal world. (laughs) Once again, apparently that was easy to get. I don't ask questions. Um, two days later, um, when John knew McSwan's body was nothing but goo, he dumped the contents of the drum into a manhole, which, think about the environment, guy. Like, not even the fact that you murdered a man and then somehow got sulfuric acid. Like, think about the, think about the detriments of dumping human waste and also sulfuric acid into a manhole. Come on, John. Like, are you just that fucking, that fucking dense? and selfish, that you don't care about anybody but yourself, and not even the environment. I'm done. Sorry. (laughs) Um, John told William's parents that William had gone into hiding because he wanted to get, to avoid getting drafted into the war. Okay. I mean, I give him credit. That's a pretty good and pretty believable excuse. Um, John then took over William's life, moving into his home and taking over the rent collection from the McSwans, um, the parents, his parents. Um, the alarming thing was that John was collecting the rent, sure, but he wasn't giving it to Donald and Amy, who were um, William McSwan's parents. He was keeping it for himself. So, I'm sure he was really just a nuisance to the whole situation. And, like, sure, if you're like, hey, you know, hey, my name's John, I was your son's chauffeur friend chauffeur and like hey your son totally ran off to not get drafted but don't worry I'm here 
I'm gonna collect all your rent and I'm just gonna keep it for myself. Like, cool with that? Are you dope? That's fine, right? Like, this is how it's gonna go. Okay, cool. Um, stupid, which I'm sure they got fed up with. Um, and when the war was basically over, Don and Amy began voicing their concerns as to why their son hasn't hasn't returned, especially because the odds of him being drafted so late in the game were slim to none, especially since the Allied forces were winning at the time. So they're like, hey, the war's almost over, and the Allied forces are winning, and our son's still gone, and we're fucking annoyed with this guy named John who just keeps stealing money from us, so... Where's our son? Right? Um, since that, or seeing that realistically, John couldn't keep the facade on forever. He lured Donnie, Don, Donald and Amy McSwan on July 2nd, 1945 to his home on the premise that their son was back on a surprise visit from Scotland. He murdered Don and Amy in his basement and disposed of their bodies, presumably with another acid bath. John stole pension checks or a pension check, I assume, and sold the McSwan properties and also stole about 8,000 pounds. And by 1947, because John had a gambling problem, he had essentially ran out of money, which, how was he able... I mean, it was the 40s. It wasn't like the caveman times. Almost the 50s, even. How was John High able to sell the McSwan properties without any kind of, hey, who are you? Like, there was no checks and balances to make sure some stranger couldn't sell your properties, right? <laughs> or am I just, maybe, once again, it comes down to, I think maybe I'm just too cynical. Maybe I've read too many true crime books, and maybe I watch too much TV. Like, that might just be the end of it. But at the same point in time, you've got this John High, Joe Schmo nobody trying to sell properties for other people, don't you think somebody'd be like, hey, that doesn't seem right, or is that just me? Right? So apparently after all these things, John got really confident. And, I mean, you can understand why. He hadn't been checked yet. Nobody's really caught on to the fact that he's evil. Right? Um, so he had run out of money um, by 1947 because he had gambled it all away. And seeing as his plan had worked so well the last time and he hadn't really been checked on his behavior, he decided to seek out another couple to kill and steal from. So this time he chose chose Dr. Archibald Henderson and his wife, Rose. They were selling their home and John met them under the pretense of buying it. He played the piano at the Henderson's house party, which is um, a weird fact. What You were like, hey, I kind of want to buy the house from you guys. I'm going to play piano at your house party. Wouldn't you think that was weird? I mean, unless he was just... And, like, I mean, I guess I never really got the vibe from anything I read about him. But maybe he was this, like, really, really charismatic, like, Ted Bundy type. Where he could convince anybody to do anything. Like, which, I mean, I don't have... <laughs> I make suggestions and I get shot down because people hate me. No, they don't. That's a lie. Um, but, I mean, maybe he was, like, super charismatic. And maybe he was charming enough that people were like, oh, let him play piano at our housewarming party. We barely know this guy. But he kind of maybe wants to buy our house. Or, like, you know, maybe we don't believe that our son ran away, but he's just so charming that, like, maybe he, maybe he's not the worst type situation. Which, I mean, maybe 
once again, maybe I just hate everybody too much because if this guy tried to come, I'm moving around a lot. I'm sorry. If this guy tried to come to my house and play piano at my fucking house when we party, I'd be like, get out of my house. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, okay. At the house party that he played piano at, like a fucking weirdo, he stole Archibald Archibald's revolver. And on February 12th, 1948, he drove Archibald to one of the small workshops that John owned under the pretense of showing him an invention. And shortly after their arrival, John shot Archibald in the head with his own revolver, and he convinced Rose to come to the workshop under the pretense that Archibald had fallen ill, and then she was shot as well. Their bodies were disposed of in oil drums filled with acid. John sold all of their possessions and forged a letter to explain their dismissal. He only kept their car and their dog. Which brings us to our final victim, that of Olive Duran Deacon. She was the wealthy widow of a solicitor, John Duran Deacon. Um, she stayed at the same hotel that John High was known to reside in. And John was lying, calling himself an engineer, and she had an idea for artificial fingernails. So they bonded over the topic, and he invited her to his workshop. And on February 18th, 1949, he got her in his workshop and shot her in the head with Archibald's revolver. He stripped her body of everything valuable and put her body into an acid bath. And, like, that happened almost exactly a year after the murder of, um... Sorry, I had to look. Don and Amy McSwan. So, or no, sorry. Archibald and <laughs> Archibald and Rose Henderson. Sorry, I scrolled too far ahead. So they were murdered on February 12th, 1948, and then Olive Duran Deacon was killed a year later on February 18th, 1949. What, he, what John High did during that time, unsure. So as I said before, detectives were apparently aware of John High and all of his fraud charges. They looked in his workshops and found a suitcase that had paperwork that connected him to Olive, the Hendersons, and the McSwans. And unlike with the McSwans, John's workshop didn't have a floor drain, so the disposal of the bodies was more difficult. He dumped the contents onto a rubble pile at the back of his property, and an investigation of the area revealed 28 pounds of human body fat, part of a human foot, human gallstones, and part of a set of dentures that was later found to be belonging to Olive Duran Deacon. High confessed to killing Olive, the Hendersons, and the McSwans, as well as a, quote, young man called Max, a girl from Eastbourne, and a woman from Hammersmith. But those claims have never been verified, so there's no way to know if he actually did them or if he's just, you know, throwing out extra business to, you know. Sometimes people do that. Like, if you've ever seen The Confession Killer or just, I mean, it's not uncommon for killers to just tag on they figure they're already been caught. Why not tag on more to like get more notoriety? You know, so I don't know if that's what it is or if he actually killed these people. Hard to tell. Um, after his arrest, John claimed insanity, saying that he drank the blood of his victims, which, during his trial, he talked about all of his weird relig religious dreams that I mentioned earlier. So apparently. An editor also went to prison for contempt of court because he called High a murderer while the trial was still underway. And although he kept it with religious um, traumatization as a reason for insanity, it was not easy to prove that he had used the acid as an attempt to get out of the crimes. Um, um, he had the no body, no murder mentality. 
Um, but there was still more than enough evidence to convict him, and the jury found him guilty in literal minutes, and he was sentenced to death. And back then, it was a different time, because it really was the, if you don't have a body, it's really hard to prove that anybody was actually murdered. And I think it's because of the time period where, I mean, there was the war, people kind of just were aloof and went missing, or ran away, or went AWOL, and, you know, it was hard to know if people were dead or hiding. And it wasn't like today where, you know, our cell phones are tracking us at every minute of every day. People know where you are at every minute of every day, and it's very difficult for you to just go off the grid and go missing. Where back and say the 40s and early 50s, I mean, you really could. There was a lot going on in the world. Technology wasn't advanced. If you just kind of fell off the face of the earth for a little while, it was really hard to prove that you were just not hiding, right? Or, you know, maybe you got mixed up with something. You weren't, up, you know, you just had to get away. I think back then it was a different time. No body, no murder mentality. And luckily the jury was like, nope, this dude's guilty, and they convicted him in minutes. Appreciate that. So before his hanging, John asked one of the prison guards if he could do a trial run of his hanging, and it was denied. And before his execution, John was offered a brandy, and he said, make it a large one, old boy. John High was led to the gallows and hanged on August 10th, 1949, just shortly after his 40th birthday. And that my friends, is the story of John George High, the acid bath killer. And welcome (laughs) and goodbye from your True Crime Tuesday. I'm happy to get back in here and I'm really happy to get to have these moments and it feels good to be back here. So thank you and uh, I'll see you guys on Serial Killer Sunday.